This Mishnah contains within it the big rule for when witnesses turn into Edom Zomimim, and that is, The witnesses do not become Edom Zomimim unless other witnesses prove that the first pair of witnesses could not have witnessed the event. They don't testify against what the other people said, but rather about them, that they themselves could not have been witnesses. Kate said, how so? What exactly is the meaning of this statement? Omru, if the witnesses said, We give testimony about so-and-so, that he killed someone. Omru hem, and then a second pair of witnesses come and say to them, How can you give testimony about this event? Because the one you said was killed, or the murderer who you testified against, he was with us on that day that you claim the murder occurred in a particular location and we were with him and therefore we know that that can't have happened. Here they are contradicting the content of the first pair of witnesses' testimony. Says the Mishnah, the first pair of witnesses would not become Edom Zomimim. This is not known as Hazoma, rather this is Hakhosha. Hakhosha is when witnesses are found to be false, or perhaps their words are contradicted by another pair of witnesses, and due to that, their testimony isn't accepted anymore. When is it that we have the law of Hazoma, of Edom Zomimim, if the second pair of witnesses said to them, How can you testify? Because you were with us on that day in such and such a location. So you couldn't have witnessed that event. I don't know if that event happened. But I know that you could not have been a witness to that event. In that case, says the Mishnah, Hari Elu Zomimim, the first pair of witnesses would be considered Edom Zomimim, Venehedrogin Alpihem, to the extent that they could be killed by the testimony of the second pair of witnesses who proves the first pair to be false. Mishnah, hey, what happens if we have the first pair of witnesses, they testify that Ruvain did something to make him guilty? And then a second pair say that the first pair were with them, so they couldn't have known about it, and the first pair of witnesses become Edom Zomimim. And then, Bo'achirim, another pair of witnesses came and testified the same thing as the first pair had testified about. And once again, V'hizimum, the second pair proved this pair as well to be false. So we have pair one, pair two uh, testify and turn pair one into Edom Zomimim. Then, pair number three, the pair of witnesses, they testify the same thing. And again, the second pair proves them to be false, turns them into Edom Zomimim. A few male, even if this happens a hundred times, and it's always the same pair of witnesses who are proving all of the witnesses who come to be Edom Zomimim, Kulomi Horugu, they're all going to be killed. They all testified falsely that somebody else deserves to be killed. And the Torah says that we should always believe the pair of witnesses who testify that the first pair of witnesses couldn't have been there. So we believe them, and all of those groups of witnesses would be killed. However, Rabbi Yehuda says, It's true that in general, the Torah said that we should believe the second pair of witnesses over the first pair, to the extent that the first pair will be killed because of them. But in this case, it's quite clear that it's which we're going to translate as a plot. Over here, that a hundred people have said the same thing, and just we've got this, other, with this one pair of witnesses who keep on testifying against any group of witnesses who come. So now we start to assume that they're the ones who are lying and that maybe all of the other ones actually told the truth. However, that's not really the reason, because we see that Rabbi Yehuda says that only the first pair of witnesses is killed, but we see that they are killed. If Rabbi Yehuda's logic is that 
now it seems more likely that we should believe all of the 100 as opposed to this other pair of witnesses, then even the first pair of witnesses should not be killed because now we're believing them. Rather, Rabbi Huda's reason is that based in don't accept testimony about the same thing once one pair of witnesses have been proved to be Adam Zomim. So all of the other hundred groups who came afterwards, they aren't turned into Adam Zomim because their testimony didn't even mean anything. Basin are not able to give a verdict based on that testimony, and therefore they're not going to become Adam Zomim. And really this leads perfectly into Mission of Zov, which teaches that Adam Zomim Zomim are only killed and they only receive the punishment of Kashi Zomam, that they receive that same punishment as they try to give another person. Adshi Gomer Hadin, once the verdict has been given, if they gave testimony that somebody is liable to a particular punishment and the based in passed a verdict based on that testimony, and then other witnesses come and prove these witnesses to be Adam Zomim, then the punishment of Kashi Zomam applies. And this sheds light onto the previous Mishnah, where if their testimony is not fit to reach a verdict and for Basin to rule according to, then they're not going to be able to become Adam Zomim. And the Mishnah tells us, Shehariyat Tzidukin Oimrim, the Tzidukin, who are a group of heretics who didn't accept Tershabal Peh, and they only had the Tershabal the written Torah, they would say that the punishment of Kashi Zomam applies at Shehariyat only if the person is actually killed. Let's say the Adam Zomim testified that somebody is liable to the death penalty. Only if he actually received the death penalty would the witnesses need to be killed for causing this person to die and to actually get the punishment. And the Tzedukim would bring a proof for this. Shinem, as the Posuk says, Nefesh tachas nafesh. Other Mishnahis read Nefesh benefesh, which is the Posuk within the parasha of Adam Zomim. But be as it may, the Torah is saying, a life for a life. If they actually took away a life of somebody by testifying falsely against them, then their lives are also going to be taken. So you see that only once the punishment is actually given, only then, if they become Edom Zomim, would they receive that punishment. But the Chachom said to this group of Tzedukim, Surely the Pesach already says, You shall do to him, to the witness who has proved to be an Edom Zomim, a false witness, you shall do to him just like he plotted to do to his brother, to somebody else. It doesn't say, like, according to what he actually did to the other person, but according to what he plotted to do to the other person. The Pesach is implying we're talking about a case where his brother, this person we're talking about, is still alive, but he plotted to do something against him. So once they've actually got the punishment, interestingly, specifically in that case, the Adam's Zomim wouldn't receive a punishment. And this is learned from that Pasuk, even though, logically speaking, it's a bit difficult to understand. Surely, if for trying to give somebody else a punishment, they are punished, all the more so if they actually gave him that punishment. But this is what the Torah says, and different explanations have been given. Now, it's all very nice that the Chachamim brought a Pasuk to go against the Tzedukim, but at the end of the day, the Tzedukim also brought a Pasuk supporting their opinion. So, Vim Cain, if so, Lomon Emar Nefesh Nefesh, why does the Torah say a life for a life, implying only if they took the life of the other person would they be killed? This is to teach us that Yachal I might have thought that as soon as the base then accepted the testimony of these Adam Zomimim, and then they were found to be Adam Zomimim, even before the base gave a verdict based on that testimony, already from that stage it would be enough to kill the Adam Zomimim. That's already included in plotting against somebody to kill him. Talmud Loimar, so that's what we learned from the Pazog, Nefesh Tachas Nofesh, a life instead of a life. Ho'enon Neherogen, actually, Gomeradin, we learned from there, that the Edom Zomim are not killed unless the verdict was actually passed based on their testimony, and then they were found out to be Edom Zomim. And as we saw in the Mishnah, this also has to be before the punishment is actually given to that person.
which is that in the Torah, when talking about accepting testimony in order to kill somebody, says, By the mouth, by the testimony of two witnesses, or three witnesses, a person can be put to death. That's showing that we, for testimony to be valid, there have to be two witnesses who testify together. And the Mishnah asks the obvious question. If the testimony is totally valid with just two witnesses, then why does the Torah have to add all three witnesses also works? Obviously, if two witnesses are enough, then also three witnesses are going to work. Answers the Mishnah with three different answers. It's in order to compare the law which applies to a case where three witnesses testify about something together to the law when two witnesses uh, testify together. And this point is common to all three answers. The question is, what law are we learning? According to the first opinion, just like it's logical, and it's very much understood that a group of three people can turn a pair of two witnesses into Adam Zobamim if they claim that those witnesses were with them in a different place at the time of the event. So too, so too, a pair of two witnesses can turn a group of three witnesses into Adam Zomim. If they claim that the three witnesses who testified were with them at a different place at that time, then the second group of witnesses would be, their testimony would be accepted, and the first group would be Adam Zomim, even though the first group is larger than the second group. And the mission adds, How do we know this even applies if the first group was made up of a hundred witnesses? How do we know that even in that case, the testimony of the two witnesses who come second would be accepted, and all of the 100 would become Edom Zomimim, Talmud Loimar. That's what is learned from the Pasuk, which says Edom. It repeats the word witnesses. It could have said, by the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person can be killed. But the Torah said, by the testimony of two witnesses or three witnesses. Why does it have to repeat the word witnesses again? That's coming to include even a case where it's more than three, even 100. Or even more than 100. Alright, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, this is a second explanation for what we learn from the Pasuk. Just like if two witnesses testify about something together, and they are proven to be Adam Zomimim, they're only killed if both of them are found to be Adam Zomimim. But if only one of them is found to be an Adam Zomimim, and we have no proof regarding the second one, then neither of them can be killed. That's learned from the Pasuk. Only if all, if both of them are found in Zomimim, we look at the group of witnesses as one, and only then would they be killed. After so too, if three witnesses testified about something together, none of them are going to be killed unless all three of them are found to be in Zomimim, even though we never actually require three witnesses. So two witnesses who, if two out of the three of them are found to be Adam Zomimim. So those two alone could have given the punishment to the other person. Nevertheless, since the third person did group together with them, even though it wasn't necessary, he would end up actually saving them from getting the punishment because the entire body of the witnesses, all of the members of the witnesses who came together to testify, need to be proven to be Adam Zomimim. And once again, in how do we know that this applies even if the group of witnesses contains a hundred different witnesses, that all of them need to be found in Zomimim for even one of them to be killed? The answer is, Talmud Loimah, that's what the Posik teaches us from adding the word Adim witnesses again a second time. All right, and now we have the third explanation. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says, The Posik only mentions the third witness in order to be strict upon him. And to make his judgment and his punishment the same as the other two. 
If let's say you have two witnesses who are going to testify, and then a third person joins in the last minute, and he also testifies together with them. Now, he wasn't necessary, but since he did join together with them, he becomes part of the testimony, and he would receive exactly the same punishment as they do, even though he wasn't necessary at all. And even without his testimony, the exact same verdict would have been given. And If this is how much the Torah punishes somebody who is secondary to other people transgressing an Avera, and he joins himself as a secondary part of people who are transgressing an Avera, even if he himself is not doing that Avera itself, or is not behaving as wickedly as they are, by joining together, he gets the exact same punishment as them. How much more so? Will he pay reward? Will Hashem reward people who join and connect to other people who are fulfilling mitzvahs? Even if you yourself are not, if you connect to that sort of group of people, that in itself is an incredible merit. And the mission implies, or possibly even on the level of those doing the mitzvah themselves.